Welcome everyone. Our goal here is to build a program that can compete for championships. In the last couple of seasons have been disappointing and hard for all of us. This day is really about the Smith family and it's about the McNair family. I just appreciate their support throughout this entire process. They put a lot of faith and trust in, in what I'm trying to do, what we're trying to do as an organization. Coach Smith is one of the most respected figures in the league. He's well respected in the halls of NRG. I think a lot of us were able to see that this year. We're all excited. I'm excited. We have a lot of work in front of us. I think Lovey and I both feel the same way. We know what the road ahead looks like. To Big Sandy's own and to the best gray beard in the building, uh, I'm going to introduce our next head coach, Lovey Smith. I'm a high school product of our great state of Texas. To me, I always wanted to be a coach. Would be the fans. Cannot play winning football without you. I have seen a day when it's tough playing outside at our NRG Stadium. And it's our responsibility to bring the fans back and get them excited about the product we're going to put on the football field. And I guarantee you we can do that. So it's a great day. We're excited. We all are. As we go forward, look forward to working hand in hand, side by side with Nick to get the Texans back where they need to be. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight for the Great British Isles. And it's episode 118, the fourth head coach in that time since we started. And the fifth permanent hire was revealed yesterday after a three or four week search. It took a bit of a U-turn again. And now we're here with Lovey Smith quite unexpectedly. Um, bit of a head scratcher, but here this week, couldn't think of anyone better to join me than the good man B. Scott. Man, I'm doing good. I'm doing really well. I had been in a place over the last week or so where I thought if we're going to hire, the Texans are going to end up hiring a, a head coach with no coaching experience whatsoever. And somehow they found the middle ground. Like I, I know that there was a lot that went into this and we'll get into it throughout the show, but somehow they found the middle ground of, you know, the, the guy that they went. I do think that they respect and like Lovey Smith. I don't think he was their top choice for head coach. But to me, that's the middle ground of, hey, finding somebody that you can live with, that you do like, that you do think you can work with versus the guy that you really wanted. But that more than likely was not a great idea. It was going to be a tough sell with the public and even even for yourselves. I don't even know how understand how they would have sold themselves on Josh McCown. So I'm, I'm in a good place right now, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, I, I saw yesterday. I mean, you saw the pictures, and I think a lot of the media were delighted. And it was a good turnout, I suppose, and whatnot. Every seat full from the, some of the, the the stills that I saw, but there was voodoo donuts, kolaches. There was uh, easels with infographics on it. That you know, there was they went they went all out. Uh, did did it feel like a kind of big event and a big contrast from last year? Um, and all the kind of they, like, like they were really trying to put across a public image um, because I think if the answer is yes, it's quite important. Yeah, I think the answer is yes. I think there's a little bit more nuance to it than simply Cully versus Lovey Smith and how they treated the hire. Um, I, I think that you have to also factor in how different things are with COVID and how uh, just the world has changed here. I, I think that we are allowed and able to do more things and, and probably just view the world a little bit differently than we did a year ago in terms of how careful we were trying to be. Like, think about it. The, the David Cully press conference was on Zoom because we still weren't like in public. We still weren't in person interacting with people. 
So our, our first few interactions with David Cully were, were virtual. Same thing with Nick Casario. You know, we didn't meet him in person right away. Uh, he had he was hired in January and none of us in the Houston media or sports media Corps were actually able to shake his hand until uh, until the summer. I'm pretty sure until June or May or June or something like that at the at the, yeah. <laughs> at the country club event that I'm pretty sure you that you probably remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David was at that as well. So, yes, it did feel like they put on a much bigger production. They definitely did. Um, at the same time, I'm not sure that they wouldn't have done that for David Cully had not COVID been a factor. Um, they have done exactly that before. I'm pretty sure you remember, uh, you know, a lot of the draft parties that they've put on. Uh, the drafting of Deshaun Watson was held and 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 uh, sort of presented in a similar fashion in that same area. I, I wasn't covering at that time. I was just a you know just sort of a fan. I, I wasn't a, a present for that. But you go back and look at the pictures. A lot of that stuff is similar. So yes, to answer your question, it did feel much 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 bigger. It was much 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 bigger. Um, than previous productions, certainly than anything that I had been around in my three years of covering the team. Uh, but I do feel like they probably would have done something similar had the world been different a year mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, yeah, you kind of sort of forget it sometimes, I suppose, and uh, maybe that's just where everybody is mentally, which is a good thing. Um, and I suppose it was a good thing yesterday as well in terms of the, in terms of just the kind of general feel of of the 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 way it came across. Um, you know, Cal's kind of awkward intro aside um but you know you didn't let them take any questions so i think that's a bonus and yes. you know they sort of did a bit of a round table kind of open evening there was no desk so you know taking that psychological barrier you know every i think every pr angle being looked at and um you know i think omar and the team did a good job of trying to make it feel a bit more kind of open and i think some of the messaging was a lot more around that as well um, but yeah. just just from a total kind of top line view, um, before we get into some of the nuts and bolts, is it fair to say that Lovey came across as a pro and and kind of enamoured people? You know, at the very least, it feels like small steps, but I think it felt like they'd actually hired a bona fide head coach, and he was talking to a media in a way which you know how to do it, um, and almost came across as reasonably impressive. You know, despite his really calm demeanour. Yeah, I couldn't put it any better than you just did, quite honestly. I think that's that's exactly the way that I looked at it. And that was what I was expecting. Uh, when, once we found out, and it was Sunday night, obviously, when we started hearing about Lovey's the Lovey all of a sudden, this sudden shift to Lovey Smith as the favorite. You know, one of my immediate thoughts was, hey, that's not a sexy hire, but that's pretty doggone reliable. Like, I don't know how much he's going to help or hurt you. <laughs> you know, like, I think that's just, he's kind of a standard bearer. You know, like, hey need a head coach you got you happen to got one in the building you got lovey smith just put him in there and then everything else is going to work around it like the next big thing is going to be obviously focusing back on nick casario and the job that he does both as a an italian a, a talent evaluator uh someone who brings in talent who's able not to just evaluate it but bring it in and uh and also his role in coaching like i i don't think that can be understated that he is that he plays a role with the coaching staff as well. And so whoever your coach was going to be was going to have to, in some ways, fall in line with, uh, with sort of Nick Casario's overall vision. But yes, no, I, th I thought to the point of Lovey Smith, that's what you're getting is a reliable uh, voice, a reliable face, uh, somebody that everyone knows. Like I think back to last year when we would interview the defensive players going into uh, OTAs and going into, you know, the off season training programs.
And the defensive player is just to a man. I mean, you can talk about Lovey Smith's defense being outdated. And, you know, obviously Lovey's in his 60s and, and all of this other stuff. And his heyday is long, long gone. But the players who are young, by the way, you know, these are mostly Gen Z players that we're talking about. Millennial and Gen Z players that we're talking about were just effusive in their praise for Lovey Smith and have just a, a lot of admiration for the guy as a defensive mind, as an established coach in the league. I think that helps. Uh, I think that helps with their credibility as an organization. I was saying this too. Excuse me. I was saying this too before, before the press conference was, hey, if there's anybody in that building or anybody that's in Texas, Texans brass at this point, if we go down from Cal McNair, Jack Easterby, to Nick Serio, to now the, the, the head coach, which is Lovey Smith now, there's, there's only one person in that group that doesn't have to prove themselves. It's like not, I mean, he has to prove himself obviously in this new job, but I mean, overall reputation wise, there's only one person in that group that's got any kind of built in equity and an established reputation and is not still having to uh, prove themselves in their current role. He's been a successful head coach. He's been an unsuccessful head coach. But he's been a head coach. He's been a, he has a reputation that I don't think needs massaging. Everybody else that's above him, Al McNair, Nick Casario, Jack Easterby, those were the ones that I needed to be sold on and probably still need to be sold on throughout this process. So I, I think they did themselves a favor uh, in bringing in a coach that at least somebody around here has got some built-in equity. Yeah, well, that's equity. I think that's one one thing. It's, it, it's such a contrast from a year ago when you could tell, you know, with all the best intentions, even the most grandest optimist, you could put down the nerves, you could put down or whatever. But that guy you wheeled out there a year ago was not up for the task, and there'd been a reason why, you know. And we'll come on to some of the issues, perhaps why he hadn't been, but certainly he, had, you know, in terms of his own self preparation, David Kelly was not fit to be a head coach, and we saw that very quickly. And you saw that in the pr first press conference; it was awkward. It was staged with you know the implanted question with Melissa or Miranda or whatever Melinda or whatever her name was and you know and the whole thing no, it was no, hold on it was Melissa Melissa her name was <laughs> Melissa and then he called her Lisa Lisa at the that's end. the one yeah I'm not sure <laughs> yeah he goes by Lisa for short so that was interesting because yeah and I mean despite the fire alarm which was they actually did quite well to 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 get around it and actually I thought when when you saw you know, we'll come on to some of the the, the the things that we're talking about. But actually, I thought what really kind of mark of the man was when he couldn't hear a word. I can't remember what reporter was was uh, asking him. Uh, it was a female reporter was asking him a question, and it, it's just calm as day. He says you're just going to have to repeat that because he couldn't hear it for the fine alarm. <laughs> so you know, it was she is a small person, right. and she was sitting directly behind me, and I'm about six feet tall, wearing really long dreadlocks. So I've, I'm tall. I got a lot, a lot of hair, a lot going on here. So she's sitting directly behind me. The fire alarm goes off and I'm like, okay, I need to lean all the way over <laughs> so Nick Asirio can see this little person. And, and, and also on top of it, you got all of these noise issues going on. Yeah. So it was a, it was a lot going on right there. It was just all you could hear was do not get in the elevator, wait for further instructions and then a siren. But you know, but despite that, he just said, you know, you have to repeat your question. Sorry. And I thought he was very measured. He was very calm. Everything you expect from a guy who's 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 been in the league this long, 
and I thought what he brought was a real sense of realism. Now, I, I put out the same clip and I didn't even realise Rivers did it. I think I got about 700 views, but I saw Rivers got about 11,000, so that's probably a good barometer of our, uh, of our reach of voice <laughs> variance there, right? But uh, but he put out that clip exactly the same as me because I thought it was so telling. You could tell by, you know, him. Drew Doherty and DP were with him talking him after the press conference. The guys, look at the stadium right now. I was telling some of the defense guys, look at the stadium right now. A lot of empty seats. There's gonna, soon there's going to be a time where you're not going to see these empty seats. The fans are going to come back. We, right now, we can't expect them to like a lot of things that we're doing. But that day is coming. That sense of realism is just something that's just so refreshing. If you read every comment and every kind of you know retweet of it, it was just... It was just been missing for a long time, and that was the, the the note I put on it was, you know, that should if that continues, that should you know remove some of these divisions in the fan base because I think what you've had for a long time now is basically nothing concrete to hold on to, and basically it's a question of do you want to go along or not go along with their delusions, and actually it really felt like for the first time there was somebody there professional who could inspire confidence, who could inspire a bit of unity. Um, and I think that was a real positive. Now, how we got there is uh, is very, very different, I, I think. Well, and speaking to that, speaking, speaking to both of those points, though, I mean, how would they have been able to sell that or produce that had they done the thing that they were looking to do before we got here, right? I mean, that's the next, that's the next logical question. It's like everything... Or as little, whatever goodwill you accomplish with this press conference and with this hire in the immediacy, how much of that could could you account for? How much of that would you have gotten or lost had you done the other thing? You know, how much did you really kind of save yourself? Certainly from a PR standpoint, but just tactically on top of that, you know, how, how much did you save yourself by making this move instead of the one that you wanted to make, right? You know what we're talking about, you know, the Josh McCown thing, you know, like, there's a variance there. It was a turning point, and it's one of those ones. Is that a turning point that, by, but by no luck of or by 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 some divine intervention, one for a better phrase, changed the direction. Certainly for the short term of the franchise, but um, you know, providing the fact that we're buying into the fact that McCowan was very much an intention or a possible intention. What do you think the catalyst was for that change, and why why did they end up with Lovey? Yeah, so I'm just going to say here and be very clear about it. You know, I know that they did their best to deny and talk around how much the Brian Flores, if at all, the Brian Flores lawsuit that was filed last week, how much that factored into them changing courses. I know that they did not want to, like, lend any credence to that idea. But we all know better than that. Like, everyone who's around, we have been expecting or had been, I'll, I'll say, had been expecting Josh McCown to be named the head coach for at least a week. And, and that's not because we were guessing or because we were projecting, you know, that, that is solid Intel. That is real, real information. I, I got to say this actually, since we're on the subject, because this is very much an internet topic. I don't know how much, uh, how much you saw it or how much uh, in your spaces, this, this is a thing, but, I see a lot of criticism of the media getting it wrong and not knowing what they were talking about. And, and, and oh, Nick, 
They pulled a fast one on the media. The he's got, media he's, he's got it tight. He's got it locked down. Nope, the room. I'm, oh, I'm sick of reading that stuff. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Oh, my God. And it's like, it's an insult to their own, to those people's own intelligence, by the way. That's an insult to their very own intelligence because they're suggesting that they are stupid. Like, like you, you are, whoever you are, and I don't mean, I do not want to scare away any listeners or, or, or whatever, but like, if you think that, you need to really seriously reevaluate your own like critical thinking skills. All right. Because here's the one thing, everyone who reported to you that there had been a shift and that they were going to hire Lovey Smith. Those were all the same people who were suggesting that Josh McCown was a real candidate and a leader in the clubhouse. And other than saying that the that the Brian Flores lawsuit didn't really factor into them changing gears there, they didn't do anything to refute that. They didn't say anything to shut that down, their fascination with Josh McCown, who may possibly, at least as of, you know, as of uh, as of Tuesday, seem like could have still been someone who would be added to the staff in some form of capacity. And we've heard different things about that, whether he would be a part of the staff or not. But. This was a clear pivot. Did nobody get nothing wrong? Wasn't nothing, nothing was incorrectly reported about the Josh McCown slash eventual Lovey Smith hire, like the Josh McCown courtship. They 100% were considering, now there's some ambiguity here on, was it a done deal? Were they, had they absolutely decided it or were they leaning towards doing it? There's some, there's some room for discussion there. But this was 100% something that they wanted to do. They wanted to hire Josh McCown. That information, and look, you don't have to trust us, but we're connected to those folks up there. We have conversations with the people in that building that you hear in public. We have conversations with the people in that building that you don't hear in public. And everything that you don't hear in public is not necessarily stuff that we can therefore turn around and say in public. But the gist of it is, this is what they were going to do. This is what they wanted to do. Sometimes, sometimes they'll put those things out there just to get a feel or to see what is the public response and reaction to it. And then they'll recalibrate, recalculate what it is that they're doing. That happens as well. But they were absolutely going to hire Josh McCown, absolutely wanted to hire Josh McCown. And then the Brian Flores lawsuit came down. And here's what I want to say about that real quick. The Brian Flores lawsuit had several details in it that were funny, anecdotes in it that were funny and headline worthy. You know, talk about Bill Belichick sending the wrong text yeah. message to the wrong Brian, the wrong, the wrong raced Brian at that. Like not just the wrong guy, but like, hey, I was trying to send it to the white guy and I sent it to the black guy, not knowing that that would even, that that part of it would even matter. Right. Yeah. Like if you send the wrong text to the wrong person, you don't necessarily think, oh, I meant to send that to the white one or the black one. Like that probably didn't even factor into it. And then lo and behold, fast forward a couple of days and that very much mattered that not only was it the wrong Brian, it was the wrong color Brian. That happened. Okay. The, the, the John Elway detail of him showing up to the interview drunk, which surprised literally no one who's ever followed John Elway, right? Especially his post playing career. Like that was the least surprising thing to be revealed in the lawsuit. Funny nonetheless, if true. And then of course, even Ross, a headline in and of itself, aside from the racial component that was that was brought up in the lawsuit was the whole, hey, this guy might be paying the tank games. Like he might be not just wink, wink, nod, nod, but like actively trying to tank, which is a big deal, a big deal aside from the race thing. 
Those were the main takeaways from the lawsuit, right? Well, once you get further down in there, there are substantive points about the the hiring practices of the NFL and how they don't measure up to some of the things that they've committed themselves to and how the numbers flat out are offensive. When you consider the racial makeup of the NFL, the racial makeup of people who go into coaching and then the ones that get the that get into the pipeline, the ones that get the jobs, the ones that get second chances, the ones that get third chances. Lovey Smith, according to that lawsuit, is only the, the second minority coach to get a third job. And I'm not even sure who that first one would have been. He's he might be the first black one like this does not happen. OK, and they were very much aware because this wasn't an isolated. Hey, this is just about the Texans. This was a league wide issue that was brought up by Brian, by Brian Flores in this lawsuit about how the NFL has flat out failed in its supposed commitment to diversity and hiring and specifically for coaches. And here they are about to hire not only a white coach because that they could have gotten away with. It's not that you can't hire a white coach. They were going to hire a white coach who ain't never coached before over a black coach who might've been the best on the market in Brian Flores or Lovey Smith, who's already in your building, who's got all every, pretty much everything you could ask for in a coaching resume other than, a, than an actual Super Bowl victory. So like, how was that going to look publicly? And not just publicly, how were you yourself? Nick Casario, Cal McNair, Jack Easterby, who I know, look, I, I know Jack Easterby is a punchline, but I do think if there's anything that he's sincere about, I think he does care about diversity. I think that's something that is actually an, an important thing to him, even whether he's competent in actually uh, uh, executing anything that he wants to do is a whole nother mm. is a whole yeah. nother matter and up for, for debate. But I do think he's well intended in that way. How are they going to reckon with hiring a white candidate who by credential and qualification is at least if not unqualified, underqualified? over all of those others, it would have been a very, very hard thing to reckon with with themselves or with the league and with the public. And so they had to obviously look in another direction and think about, hey, we either need to hire an experienced white coach (laughs) or we need to or we need to right this wrong with the whole diversity thing. And I think they were able to check off a lot of boxes that were important, not just lip service and cliches and and and, you know, lipstick on a pig sort of thing check in a lot of boxes with a competent, qualified, deserving, and yes, black head coach in Lovey Smith. So I, I think all of those things had to factor into it. And I'm not really buying what the, uh, what the public answer was there because we kind of already knew what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And I think you're right. There's be, there is so much of that now. And I don't know what, where that's, where that derived from, where that comes from a source of frustration or a source of because I think like when when the team's this shit for this long, people start to get a bit kind of you know they, they start to try and find small positives that aren't really there, um, and then you know people that you know aren't willing to sort of you know as you said lipstick on a pig sort of stuff, kind of then becomes oh it's negative or it's not true and all this kind of all this kind of stuff. But you know and going back to that media narrative, just finally you know just the the, the way you could describe it is that. People say often that Jack Easterby is a media creation. Well, you almost fucking hired Josh McKimmon. So let's leave it at that. You know, that's all you need to say on that one because I'm not saying he's making the final call, but what he is, and I wrote an article about this three weeks ago on the website, he is great at influencing people. 
and he continues to do that. So whether you think he's making the final call or not, you the person making the final call might not even think he's making it, but he's certainly having a hand in it. And until and as, as long as he's here, well, the dysfunction, the disjointed processes will just continue. So you know we're used to it now. It almost washes because you're kind of, you're kind of used to it. You know it's that abusive behaviour. People just then be you know their their uh, their tolerance to it reduces over time, like any form of abuse. But yeah, here we are talking about almost hiring a you know a candidate who should never have been in the conversation. Yeah. And and I think that there are ways for all of them to atone for their mistakes. Like I understand that there's a legitimate, there are legitimate reasons and there's a legitimate segment of the fan base that will never be able to get on board with the Jack Easterby thing. And look, I get it. I I, I get it. I get it. You don't have to convince me and I'm not going to try to convince you or none of that. Like I totally get it, but I will say there's a way to sort of right your wrongs or at the very least, not to use a Jack Easterbyism, but he talks about doing the next right thing. Once they actually start doing that, maybe we can move forward. You know what I mean? And, and to be fair, I think the hiring of Lovey Smith is somewhat of a compromise, but could be viewed as that, right? They got to keep doing the next right thing, so to speak, right? So like practice what you preach here, you know? Like they, they talk about being uh, servant leaders and doing the next right thing. All right, well... <laughs> I don't know what the leadership was that brought you to we're going to hire David Cully and, and trot that out to our fan base for a year. I don't know how that was the next right thing or how that was servant leadership. I don't know how the next right thing was. We're, we're going to give off the impression that we might hire Josh McFreakin Cown as our head coach who's never coached beyond volunteer high school work. I don't know how that was the next right thing or how that signified any kind of leadership. Uh, it, it would have been ballsy. I'll give him that. It would have been ballsy, mm. but not in a, not in a way that I would have preferred or or would have given them credit for. Um, so, like the Jack Easterby thing, I think Jack, Cal, Cal more than anything, right? Like we talk so much about Jack, I'll say this: we don't talk enough about Cal because Jack has become his con- kind of the conduit. He's yeah. kind of become the yeah. the. He, he, he's been the sort of the, the bulletproof vest, so to speak, for, for at times for Bill O'Brien. I think at times for Nick Casario, but mostly, mostly for Kyle McNair. And that's really who we need to be talking about. And to be fair to them, this was a, I think this was a good step. Now it's really upon Nick to go get actual good players and like whatever the actual coaching is. Like we need now it's time to evaluate that. It's not just a press conference. It's not just public statements. It's not just how do you respond to a lawsuit that alleges racist hiring practices on the league and uses your own most recent hire. Okay. As an example, you know, cause that is in the lawsuit, the David Cully thing yeah. for better or worse is in the lawsuit. So like now is really the time to, to prove yourself. I said this earlier in the show, like it wasn't Lovey Smith that I needed to be sold on. It wasn't Lovey Smith that needed to prove anything to me. I know what Lovey Smith's about. I know what his track record is, good and bad. It's Cal. It's Jack. It's Nick. So let's go. Come on with it. Come on with it. Let's let's see what you do with the players that you that you draft and that you acquire in free agency, right? Let's see. Let's see how much you you allow, how much autonomy you give your coaching staff. And if not, how much of a uh, of an asset are you to the coaching staff if you're going to be heavy handed in it? Like it's got to be one or the other. Either you need to let them do their thing, or if you're going to be one that's so hands on, you need to be. It needs to be good. 
Like, right? Like, or when it's not, it's not just David Cully, Lovey Smith, whoever the coach is, Tim Kelly, whoever the coach is. It's, man, this coaching staff, uh, Pep Hamilton, uh, Tim Kelly, like just whoever the guy was, right? Uh, the play caller, Nick Casario, who's, who's on the head. Nick Casario sat right next to Pep Hamilton in the press box throughout the entire year while uh, when they called plays, right? So, like, all of this matters now, okay? And so I think they have an opportunity here to kind of right some wrongs um, or at the very least, if not, if they can't right the wrongs per se, because you can't undo the past, to like just move forward in a positive way. I thought that, that I was going to say Monday, I thought Tuesday was the right, it was a good step, a nice step in that direction. A symbolic move, whether that actually, as you said, there are, you know, turns itself into results, where it turns into wins on a Sunday, where it turns into better quality players on the, on the field. That's up to Nick. And I think the only way out of this, Meyer, is potentially him hitting on every single one of these picks and that's including clearing up Deshaun things, clearing up the tons of stuff, all that stuff. But we come on to that before we round up. Just want to circle back real quick on that uh, one on the on the Flores thing. So just before that process went off the tracks, very similar to the Casario hire, very public on who you want, names in there, tracker on the website, everybody's aware leaked into the media on purpose. There's a set of names there. You get three finalists. You don't hire any of those finalists. Now, we're saying McCown was definitively one of those, and you know I don't think anybody's under any illusions he wasn't. Where do you think uh, Jonathan, I keep saying Rich Gannon, but Jonathan Gannon, where do you think Jonathan Gannon stood in that? And I've seen some kind of sort of circles that he's saying that it was about coaching staff and and Casario touched on that again, talking about the interview on six ten this morning around the around the you know the, the the removal of some coaching staff or the turnover was one point that he said that he considered. So that kind of matches up there in some of the stuff you've seen. And then if Brian Flores hadn't have hired or hired this law firm or been approached by this law firm to go for this this kind of class action suit or whatever it turns out to be against the league. Do you think the Texans would have gone from because it felt very very convenient that he gets sacked from from uh, from Miami and then within days you know the the evaluation process or whatever it was you know thorough review of football operations has been continuing and then Cully was fired through a very kind of you know very weak kind of sounded rationale of 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 uh, differences in outlook or whatever that you know whatever, sort of you know shit phrase that he used that nobody was really buying. At a time where Casario almost looked remorseful. Philosophical yeah, philosophical difference. Philosophical, yeah, yeah, yeah. Philosophical alignment. We've heard that before as well, right? So, where, so, so, where it feels like there's more than one force at play here. So, do you think the Gannon thing was coaching staff, and do you think they would have taken Flores if it hadn't been for all this kind of, you know, for this uh, this legal legal quest? Nah, man. I, I think they would have taken McCown. I don't think they would have taken. I think they just in their you know, evaluation, they eventually just liked McCown better than, better than Gannon. I do think that. I think they liked Gannon, but they ended up liking McCown better than Gannon flat out. I don't think, I, it's, to me, it's odd, okay, that Brian Flores, not just odd, but almost flat out offensive, that Brian Flores would be in any kind of coaching conversation with Josh McCown. It just should not happen. And it's just something that me and the Texans are going to have to agree to disagree on, because to me, that is that is insulting. That is ignorant and flat out ridiculous. 
And that's not to say that Josh McCown can't be a good head coach at some point in his life. <laughs> it's just to say that one guy has has proven it. And I'm not saying that Brian Flores is some great coach, but he's got, you know, I know overall a one the losing record, one game under 500. But if you take the most recent examples, he's produced as a coach and you can like point to it and and see it. Whereas Josh McCown is a complete projection. And the idea that those two would have even been in the same conversation, uh, not just an initial conversation, but later on as finalists, like a finalist list that includes Brian Flores and Josh McCown and Jonathan Gannon, like Jonathan Gannon is somewhere in between there. But even he, like neither one of these guys, in my view, belong in the same conversation as Brian Flores. And that's considering also that maybe they just were never going to hire Brian Flores to begin with. Maybe it just wouldn't have seemed right if they didn't reach out to him and didn't at least interview him and have some kind of conversation, given his stature and given that they do have a relationship, an existing relationship with Brian Flores from the New England days. Like it just wouldn't have made a lot of sense, just like it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense that they never reached out to Gerard Mayo. who We all figured for sure, you know, talking about Jack Easterby's influence, we all figured for sure he would at least be somebody that would be in the mix. So. Like I think about this on SportsRadio610.com when they first fired David Cully. I put out a list of candidates, five candidates that was somewhat informed and somewhat of a projection of like just what makes sense. But five candidates that could replace David Cully. And among them, two two guys that were never considered were Josh McDaniels and Gerard Mayo. There was also Lovey Smith. People saying, "Hey, no one, no one saw the Lovey Smith thing coming. No one saw that coming." That. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't necessarily see it coming. Yeah. I'm not trying to take credit because no, no, yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't think they would actually do it. I just put it in there because it did, in a lot of ways, just make sense. It would have made even more sense to have done that. And I'm not saying I would have loved this, but to have done that instead of the David Cully thing. Like, why? Why hire David Cully if if there's any way that you can throw enough money at? Lovey Smith or, or, or sweet talk Lovey Smith into agreeing to do it if he didn't want to. Like you can figure that out. Uh, so so I, I think that they I think they wanted Josh McCown from the beginning. And they intended on hiring Josh McCown. And when they realized that they probably shouldn't, at that point, it was and this is just me talking, okay? Mm-hmm. I want to make this clear. This is not reporting. Not, this is this is my sense of it from having talked to them, but just from my, my sense of uh, or my impression of what happened. I don't think that they could have, once they pivoted from Josh McCown, that they could have hired an inexperienced white coach either at that point. Once, the, once things got messy with the Brian Flores lawsuit, Josh McCann, I'm sorry, Jonathan Gannon, they could have sold to the fan base, I think. Yeah. I think Jonathan Gannon, I don't think that that hiring Jonathan Gannon would have been some indictment on the league's hiring practices and, and would have made them racist. I'm not saying that. I'm just thinking of uh, in terms of climate and in terms of perception, once it, once it came to be that, hey, the guy that we want to hire is inexperienced and just happens to be white. Okay, well... Now, now we've got to go to a complete pivot. And if we're going to, if we're not going to hire the guy that we really, 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 really wanted to hire, 
Now we're going to go find someone that that meets all of these other that fits all of these other criteria that have factored into things that didn't factor into things when we first started the search. Yeah, well, that's the way I see it. I, I think that I think that Jonathan Gannon for the climate and for the moment probably was not ideal to to sort of to sort of fit the image and, and, and the objective of answering some of these substantive questions that uh, that Flores poses in this lawsuit. So. Um, I think I think they like Gannon, probably never loved him. And then once they realized they they weren't going to be able to hire Josh McCown, the guy that they wanted anyway, then then there's no point. Like if you're going to hire a white guy anyway, you know, just hire the one that you want. Hire Josh McCown is probably the way they're looking at it. So uh, so at, at that point, I think I feel like the pivot, like you got to be like serious and, and go ahead and 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 do the other thing. If that's if that's where you're inclined, if you're inclined to to be influenced. It surprised me a little bit because the Texans don't always seem to care about what other people say. You know, if they did, I don't know if the last two years, almost three years even happens. Right. But in this situation, I think they did. And again, to give them some credit, I think that they do have some level of sensitivity to these issues, especially even the way that the the organization is viewed back to the Bob McNair days and the, inmates running the prison. I think they, I think they legitimately want to get rid of that. So, uh, so all of that long winded answer to say, um, once things change, things changed completely and they had to go in a totally different direction. Yeah. And I mean, Kevin O'Connell was another name that was kind of flying around there for a little bit and it didn't really seem like it gained any traction. Obviously had a clear preference to go and work for a first time GM, which for a first time head coach is a bit of a risk. But I think the pool of candidates that were in this race are a direct result of the dysfunction that you've continued to show. And then not only that, when you, you know, and everybody, as you said, you know, and another, you know, talking about those narratives out there about, you know, Caserio doing this great job in year one, well, you've botched the first coach hire. You've then had a really disjointed, ugly, slow process to, to, to then take over three weeks, be the second last Team take the longest from from firing to hiring by any team, and by the time you hire somebody, you just turn around and hire your defensive coordinator who's already been in the building for a year. Okay, you promote your QB coach, so you know they're selling it as an element of stability, and they reference that a number of times yesterday about you know we've had that base year, we've you know we're almost going to get off to a fast start, we've had you know the opportunity that you wouldn't normally have taken a, a head coaching role on like this, and all this kind of stuff. But my, I think. My point I was just thinking when I was watching it, Brandon, is just like, what's changed? If this was your plan and you and you your market of coaches was so shrunk because agents are warning against you, don't touch that club right now, they're not in a good place, their clients don't want to interview you, you know, they might have asked Gerald Mayo, but probably, you know, he's just got a nice Hellman's uh, advert for the Super Bowl, so he's probably all right for money, probably in a nice place, happy to take his time. You know, there's probably a number of guys that they didn't even publicly release because they probably just point blank refuse to take it any further in terms of the process so they've put themselves in that situation and I want to definitely dive into Casero before before we finish up but the point of trying to say oh well it's continuity well continuity of a four-win season continuity of a team who was heavily penalized you know continuity of a team who could not piece drives together so many weeks in a row that had unwatchable football at times after having a full preseason with no interruptions with COVID there's no excuses there's a brand new coaching staff that you hired that you gave to a coach who was a clear patsy so continuity of that you know and that's what you've got to think as well and okay like a lot of the coaching 
staff have moved out and, and it looks like, you know, Lovey will get to bring in his own guys and it maybe shows a bit of a softening of Casario as he learns how to be a GM. But I but I think the continuity element of there's very few things we want to take over from this season to the next, but I just don't understand how you can kind of sell that. Because if that was the case, you could have hired him last year. You know, if that was the case, you could have hired Leslie Fraser. If that was the case, you could have hired, what's that guy's name? I always forget him now, the one that was uh, at the Colts. Jim, Jim Caldwell. Jim Caldwell, there you go. So, you know, there would be no difference in material outcome. Because end of the day, this roster is poor, right? And I keep going back to the fact that that, you know, that the McCowan thing doesn't leave this discussion in that sense. Because, so you've got McCowan, who may or not be on the coaching staff, and Lovey Smith yesterday seemed very abundantly open to it. So this might be their way to shoehorn him in to this. And look, if everybody's on the same page with that, and great, Lynn, that's cool. You know, if everybody, if if you know, if Lovey's on the on the on the condition, that, look, I'll run this for a three, few years. He's got to earn it, but we're going to give him a chance to come into the building and do that. But I think that creates a, an environment of distrust because, regardless if he's had any coaching experience, he's still linked to Jack Easterby. So, regardless of 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 you know the intentions of his capability or his potential as a coach, he's still not earned anything. So, you know, maybe Lovey's okay with that, and that's a long term plan. And actually, right now, you know, it's almost it's almost kind of difficult to get upset about the head coach because the point you made earlier, we need to find players and we need to find guys who can make a difference on both sides of the ball. So until we're at that point, all of this is kind of academical in some sense. So you know, like if there is this grander plan that they've they've pushed out, and because of you know all the public dynamics of all this kind of Flores stuff has pushed them into that point then okay fair enough and maybe that is the plan and that'll be, that'll come to light in the fullness of time but it feels like the continuity aspect you could have done that last year so it just goes to show last year was a waste of time this year potentially is a waste of time and the best bit is you can't sack them now after two years you, you're going to have to give them a minimum two years you can't there's no way they can do that you know if you go back to that whole optics thing if that was a thing they truly cared about you know Lovey's got at least two years at this at, at absolute minimum you got to think yeah, so your points are very, very well taken, and I want to unpack it a little bit because I agree with about 90% of it, and, and I'm going to play at least play devil's advocate some of it. Where do I want to start? Let's start with the part that I agree with. This was a total waste of time. 2021, total waste of <laughs> everyone's time, at least from a coaching perspective, okay? Like the, in the sense in which it wasn't a total waste of time, let's be fair about this. Was the draft picks like you got five guys that can contribute to your team? I don't know if you have a star among them in any of them, no, yeah. but you got five, I think, solid players who can contribute to your team for the next, let's call it one year's down. So let's call it the, at least the next two years. I don't know how long these guys are going to be around. Let's say that you got five guys that can contribute to your team that, that did contribute to your team in, in their rookie year and can contribute to your team for the next, let's say, two to three years. That's good. That's cool. I think and when we talk about continuity, I think this is where I was going to play devil's advocate a little bit. I think the continuity part of it is that that is worth continuing. Okay. But to use the word of continuity, I think the part of this past year that was a waste of time that is worth continuing is a, the development of Davis Mills. And I'm uh, look, we're on record here on this podcast, on my podcast, and anywhere else you could find me talk. I am not a guy who thinks that Davis Mills is some franchise quarterback. He played a lot better than I expected him to in his rookie year. 
And I'm excited about that. I think that that's really, really cool. Okay. So credits Nick Casario for drafting that guy. So Davis Mills, somebody that you want to keep around, somebody that you want some continuity with. As far as the coaching staff goes, which to the point that I just made about it being a complete waste of time, which it was, the point that you made a moment ago, and I think we've both made this point already on the podcast already, is that if they were going to do this, if they were going to waste our time in 2021, they could have just hired Lovey Smith to begin with. They could have just hired Jim Caldwell. They could have just hired Leslie Frazier. I could not agree with you anymore on that. Like, 100%, that was almost my first reaction when they said they were going to hire Lovey Smith. I'm like, what the hell were we doing in the last year? This guy's been around. You could have done this already. Okay, but to the point of what wasn't a waste of time or the few coaches that did perform well on this staff or the few people on this team that performed well, Davis Mills, Lovey Smith, Pep Hamilton. Pep Hamilton by proxy because of Davis Mills, right? So, like, if there were three things that you would want to continue and bring along from what was largely a waste of time in 2021, they would be Lovey Smith, Davis Mills, and Pep Hamilton, right? So I'll give them that. Like, I, and, I, and I think that that part of it, you know, that's why I'm able to be okay with this, why I'm not like, you know, like I'm, I am frustrated with the process and, and a little bit embarrassed. Like when things like this happen with the Texans, I take it a little personally because I, I feel like everything that happens here some, is somewhat representative of me too because hmm. I take so much pride in being from this city. So like, even if it ain't me, they did it. I'm embarrassed on their behalf. Like that looked silly. The whole thing and the way the way you illustrated it just now or spoke it out just now, I I thought was perfect. But again, the 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 few things that were worth taking away from 2021 were the things that they seemed to be taking away from 2021, and I cannot be mad at that. Like I remember at one point on the radio saying that the best thing, aside from the from the draft class, the the one of the best parts about this. This team, which was a pitiful team, okay, we're not we're not picking from great options here. But the best part about this 2021 team, one of them at least, was Levy Smith. Mm. Levy Smith's defense, I'll say. I thought I didn't think that it was a great defense, okay, but they were opportunistic. They were fun. They would take the ball away. Like the team sucked. I I, I never expected that to be a good defense, and it wasn't one. But it at least did some things that I thought. Like they don't win that uh they don't win that Tennessee game without some luck and some and some good defense. They don't like I don't think that they're nearly as entertaining in the times in which they were entertaining. Think about the season opener. They're able to to expose Trevor Lawrence in his first ever NFL game. Like our few highlights of the season, the few moments as Texans fans that we were able to enjoy were in large part to the defense and whatever optimism we were able to to develop about Davis Mills at various points of the season. Um, which I guess was even sort of a roller coaster because there were also times where he looked god awful. So, so to me, you know, like it's a it's a god awful process. It is an embarrassing process. The 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 point you made about hey you you put out three finalists out there, hired none of them, only to hire a guy that you already had access to, a, a guy that you could have hired all along. Um, what were we doing? I I tweeted this. It just feels like a huge, huge waste of time to do the David Cully experiment and then to say that you fired him over philosophical differences. Well, they already admitted in this press conference yesterday that that Lovey and, and Casario at times might, might have some philosophical differences, but both of them are kind of agreeable guys <laughs> yeah. to, to the other and all of that kind of thing. Like the philosophical differences are going to exist 
We got philosophical differences up here at Sports Radio 610. Like, but we have to work together. I mean, the phil- I'll, and I'll say this too, not to get on too much of a rant, just real quick about David Cully. Whatever David Cully was and whatever he had, let me tell you what he wasn't. A philosopher. The man didn't have no damn philosophy, okay? His, philo- his philosophy and philosophical differences was going to be whatever Nick Asirio said for it to be. So, like, miss me with that part. Um, but, again, as far as the continuity aspect of it, I can agree with the, the premise of, hey, when a, when a team is four, wins four games in back-to-back seasons, you don't need to continue a damn thing about anything that's there. <laughs> you know, like, scrap the whole thing, start over, you know. But if you are going to look at the positives and whatever progress that you did gain, you were able to find a, a, an adequate quarterback, somebody who you think can be an adequate quarterback. You found a defensive coordinator who, at the very least, made your defense more respectable, even if they weren't. Like, they didn't have great players on defense, but they, I felt like they overperformed in some ways. Um, so, like, I mean, they just didn't. Like, who was the, their, like, their best pass rusher was Jonathan Grenard. No disrespect to Jonathan Grenard. Like, their, their, best, their best cover guy was, was who? Desmond King, Ter- Terrence Smith. Like, I don't even know who that is. Like, Lonnie Johnson could have started for this team if they had kept him at, at, at corner. Like, it just was not a talented defense to, at all. Like, I like the linebackers, Kama Grugier-Hill. Uh, Desmond King had some moments, but, like, he wasn't working with a lot. And, and so the production was about what to be expected. And then the, the turnovers, to me, were about a mentality and about a, competitive, a competitiveness among the defense of wanting to get those turnovers every week. Uh, something that they had just preached for a long time. I think some of that is random and hard to coach around uh, and somewhat lucky. But if you go, if you, if you try it, you know, like if you played a lot of enough, you know, you got a better chance of getting lucky than the people who don't. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think that if there was anything good to take away from the season, it would have been Lovey Smith, Pep Hamilton and Davis Mills. And they'll bring those guys back and, and maybe, uh, Maybe revamp this offense, change it, change it schematically entirely. Um, you know, I, and I said this too. That was one of my priorities going into this offseason was, hey, I don't really care who the head coach is as long as he changes this damn offense I've been watching yeah. since 2014. Yeah. Like if I don't if I don't have to watch that anymore, I can talk myself into whoever the head coach is, even if that had been Josh McCown, which would have been absurd and ridiculous. If he came in here and said, hey, we're gonna run Kubiak and Shanahan's uh, offense, we're gonna run some type of West Coast system. I would have been able, once I got over the initial shock of it, I would have been able to get around that and, and would have wanted to see it. Mm. So, Well, that's the thing, not the top 10 offenses, 2012, and it's been evident. You don't, <laughs> didn't pass the eye test to be a top 10 offense for a long time yet. So, I mean, that, that's like a refreshing change, I suppose. I think the, but my line of thought here is that a couple of weeks ago or whatever it was, the press conference, and then Casero did not want to commit publicly to Lovey Smith. Now, that may always be in his, his plan B. Um, you know, we, we'll never know. But he said, he used the phrase day-to-day. He used the same go-to phrase that he's used to talk about the whole Deshaun Watson situation. So therefore, there, that, that would suggest some doubt. That's some that's some wiring up there. Um, yep. You know, and he talked about himself being very process-orientated and all this kind of stuff. But I think that, so that wasn't his plan. The two people they heralded, obviously, apart from Lovey, who he obviously went to, you know, basically, can you build them out for help? We're kind of our bark strong, and we were going to go with a guy, but it's just going to be a PR disaster. If that is the case, 
I, I failed to see what his plan was and why did they, you know, because you think if it's continuity, you could have kept Cully for another year because the material outcome is just going to be, you know, you, you will now have avenues to amass talent. You didn't have that last year in any great deal. So you could have just kept the guy if, it re- if you really wanted to because he didn't really have any input um, beyond, you know, or you could have, or you could have even let him move upstairs gracefully and, and brought some, you know, and brought somebody else in or even, or even do exactly what you did or you could have had you could have this day you fired him you could have said lovey smith's going to take over cheers in the story it wouldn't have been a big issue so we're still in rebuilding phase we've started something here lovey's been a head coach it's been a bit too much for david thanks for moving on but it feels like when there was that that all kind of changed so quickly so my my underlying feed is there's some sort of external force in there that's knocking that plan off because if Caseri was this great and wonderful GM that he has where is the plan nobody you know and that's always the criticism I don't see where you're going or where you're trying to get us to go and I still don't see that with Lovey Smith now there's a period of, of pain to get through or the adversity they talked about when you're building something special you've got to go through adversity great so well, you know and this may he may be just the guy to see us through that but when you're committing to Pep Hamilton who yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, again, another darling of of people's eye uh, for for a reason that I'm not too sure of. And Davis Mills, who hasn't, just for the record, and you go back and watch the tape. I pull the clips out every week, bar the games that I've, <laughs> bar the games that I can't really bring myself to rewatch it. Of which there were a few last year, but the the games where it was at least watchable, there was there was there wasn't a single game where Mills pieced together four quarters. And you're sitting talking about committing to a guy in a press conference before you've even gone through the player acquisition periods of free agency in the draft. So, like, okay, there's continuity, but continuity to achieve what is my question? And what's the plan? Yeah, yeah, I, I I love it. I think that that is a great point. And and here's what how I would respond to you. And and I know that you are a Texans fan and that you love the team, but you're also critical. I know that the majority of the people that are listening right now love the team and probably don't. Some of them, I won't speak for everybody. I don't know you all, but some of them don't like how critical and how negatively the media talks about the team. It's, you know, it's supposed to be the, the media that covers the team. I think that's partly a, a fundamental under, misunderstanding of media. But I'll say this, man, and, and this goes back to another point that I made on Twitter. Like, hey, man, you're talking about the, the you know David the the coaching and Davis Mills and like continuity for what and all of that and well first of all I want to say with Nick Casario you won't find me be the one until he actually shows it to to say that he's some great GM he's someone who I like to be optimistic about and just for my own mental health like to think good <laughs> things about it and, and and say hey you know like I don't I don't agree with this I don't agree with that this worries me this worries me. The fact that, you know, he's a GM and GMs tend to get longer leashes. Like, I just want to kind of let it play out as much as possible, okay? So that's where I am with Nick Casario, just trying to be as patient as I can, even though I've got my doubts, all right? But when it comes to, like, the Davis Mills thing, Lovey Smith, David Cully, this is the reality right here, all right? And I want everybody to hear this. These are the Texans. All right. These are the Texans and the Texans have have made their bed. They have established this sort of place in the NFL ecosystem as uh, as a destination that people aren't necessarily preferring or wanting to go. You don't get 
the cream of the crop. The best chance you get you have at getting the cream of the crop is going to be to draft them. Draft some type of diamond in the rough. You get your first. This is the first time you get a first round pick in three in three drafts since 2019. The last first round pick you made, I'm pretty sure, was Titus Howard in 2019. This is the first time you so this is the first time you get to do that since then. There's going to be your opportunity to go get some, you know, top of the line talent or or uh, somebody who you like you really believe in as like a franchise cornerstone player, right? But they made their bed in this. Trading away all of their draft capital, uh, disenfranchising their franchise quarterback, who we later found out had some other issues on top of that. Like, and, and right after you just paid them, guaranteed all of that money, gave them the, which uh, obviously that's part of, that's just part of contracts, but then also gave them that no trade clause, all the while having this concern within your own like physical therapy staff or whoever it was that noticed that Houston Texans massage tables were vanishing and going off with Deshaun Watson to in his own personal business. Like, and, and so you, you had some red flags about like, what, what's, why is he getting so many massages? What's going on? Why is he, why, and why is he taking our tables? What, what is, what is that all, all that about? Like you had all of that going on. Okay. Uh, the Jack Easterby thing. How did I, how did I wait this long to get to that? Um, allowing him to be, to work hand in hand with Bill O'Brien. So you had two people in a position to make, these high level decisions for your organization, specifically in personnel, neither one of them qualified or adequate at it. Okay. So these, the Texans. <laughs> All right. And my point about when I'm saying that is if you can acknowledge how much of a, like a shit show that this has been over the last couple of years and what it's turned into. And, and if you're fr- if you've been frustrated as a fan and rightfully so, and like you can see everything around that's going on, I don't know how you can expect to like you. I get expecting better decisions from your decision makers, but like, who's the coach you think that that wanted to come over here and 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 shepherd this rebuild? Like, you could have hired Jim Caldwell, presumably. You could have hired Leslie Frazier, presumably. I don't know why you didn't try to hire Lovey Smith, presumably. We agree that the whole David Cully thing never made sense, but like, Lovey Smith for a team that that has made this kind of this messy of a bed and has been this much of a crap show. Lovey Smith, you're doing pretty good. You're doing pretty good to get Lovey Smith. Because quite honestly, the way that you've done business the last three years, as the Texans have, they don't deserve better than Lovey Smith, quite honestly. I'd like to see him get it because I root for him. But they haven't earned that. They, they've earned a situation that is as tenuous as the one that it is. Davis Mills, damn it, you had a quarterback. You had one. You had one, all right? Now, again, I know that the 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 legal stuff complicates everything but even before that came out that looked like a guy that didn't want to come back that didn't want to play that didn't want to play here anymore so like i'm not trying to sell you on davis mills i'm just saying like this is about what to be expected once you do business the way you have the last couple of years and we just are not in a position to expect better right now now i think going forward look you hold lovey smith to a standard you don't just say oh we've sucked Lovey Smith can suck. No, nah, I love you. You need to come out here and coach, man. Uh, you don't get to say, oh, we've sucked all of this time. We're going to suck some more. Uh, so don't worry about that first round pick, Nick Casario. Don't worry about number three. Nah, Nick, you either need to draft a hell of a player or you need to get, you know, some kind of haul for the number three pick, whatever you're going to do with it. Th- there needs to be production from that. Like, I'm not saying don't hold them up to the standard. I'm just saying you don't really get to be like, to kind of look around and wonder like, man, why, why don't things... Why don't things look right around here? It's because they haven't been doing things right around there, man. 
Like, you know, like Lovey Smith, in, in some ways, and we've kind of characterized it here at the, at the radio station as they've, uh, that Lovey Smith is doing them a favor, bailing them out of the whole yeah. race thing and, and, and also bailing them out of the hiring an unqualified coach thing, right? Well, you're lucky to have Lovey Smith at this point for as bad as you've done business. Like, you hired David Cully. Instant shot at your credibility. Instant. Like, what? What are y'all doing over there? I know a lot of people in the league like David Cully, but nobody thought he was supposed to be a head coach. You know, so it's, 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 an, it's an issue of credibility and, like, preparation up to this moment. Everything that you've done up to now would indicate, you, you know, you're going to have to make something out of some scraps. You know, I thought you made a really good point about uh, last year being a waste of time. We totally agree. I think it's, it's still to be determined. I'm not quite there with you yet on this year being a waste of time. I think they can actually make the progress this year that they could have and should have tried to make last, last year, year yeah. under, yeah. under, under whoever, whatever, like real coach that they would have hired. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think the, the point of, you know, or committing to Mills or even or a level of commitment to Mills, a level of commitment to Pep Hamilton and, and Lovey Smith by default brings them all, all back to the table together. But I think that, there is nobody who could put a logical argument, you know, we're talking about critical thinking out there, the media portraying it in a certain way and all this kind of stuff that's perpetuated by certain individuals, by the way, that comes from a sort of kind of siege mentality, you know, sort of tribalism that comes with fandom. I get that. But like, if you look at logically where Nick Casario is right now, you've hired a G you've hired as a GM, your first ever head coach who was not fit for purpose. You've now had a botch process arguably, you know, you can spin it any way you want, spoke to loads of different people, I only give out certain information due to league requirements, and you've hired a guy who was already in your building and has not had a winning uh, winning season as a head coach for a long time, and was pretty much, you know, six or seven wins in college. Illinois, in no way, is comparable to coaching in the NFL. Like, it is, it is in a lot of ways, the bottom of the barrel of, of, the, of Big Ten football. Like, I, I just... And I'm not saying he did. I'm not trying to defend the job. No, no, no. There. It, it, it sucked. Yeah. I just don't know how much, how transferable it is to what he's doing here now. Well, that's it. Really but not. I suppose that the, the, probably my point I was going to make is that the market or the, the demand for his services led him there. So, you know, and then comes back to us and he was hired that's very, it. very quickly. Um, so he's kind of had an elevation from relative obscurity to this now. So when you, when you add all those factors together, when you think of all the wasted capital we're going to have to endure this year, the only way out of this, as I said earlier, is if Casario has pretty much a 60-75% hit on his draft picks, and particularly the ones at the top, which nobody does. You know, it is unreasonable to expect any GM to have that high of a hit rate that he needs to pull us out of this. And that's the only way from A to B, as you said, to gain credibility. Because actually, oh, there's guys on that roster, I want to come and coach. And then all of a sudden, you you now appeal to a higher quality of staff that you're going to need um, to, to then take you to that next level. So like the foundation kind of stuff that Casario could have and should have built up to this point, he hasn't. And I saw a tweet, you know, and there's always people, oh, you know, he's, he's got to wipe the slate clean. My favourite tweet was, how do you, you can't, what was it, you can't un unfuck five years of O'Brien after one year. And that's not really true because it was only kind of 18 months, two years. Now, was there some horrendous moves in there that were going to take you multiple years to claw back from? Yeah, 
but we've made no progress. We've made no tangible progress. If you, you know, and he talks about getting from the goal is 90, we might be at 35 at the minute. Well, if you're at 35 now, you maybe started at 30 because you've not moved this on in any way, stretch of the imagination after a full calendar year of being here. So, like, there is no room for error for him now. And I thought it was really interesting yesterday how he made, Cal made some comments the first time I've ever seen him make any comments around the theme of accountability and he said very clearly there is pressure to win within this organisation, we are competitive he's never said that before so I don't know if that's, you know, and then I don't and all the reference to the fans and stuff we touched on earlier I don't know if there's some pennies dropping at some point and they're starting to maybe, you know, okay, they, they never touch the screw, let's be honest. Maybe now they're starting to turn at that little bit ever so slightly and actually, you know, be an, you know, a functional organisation where if you don't perform in a multi-billion dollar corporation, you leave. And that's that's ultimately where I think it nicks at a crossroads right now, this off-season of you're going to have to pull so many rabbits out of a hat just to give credibility and move this forward. Lovey Smith's a small baby step in the right direction, but there's so much unprecedented level of success he's going to have to do to do that in a two or three year span. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with the point, with your overall point here that at the very, like, I'll, I'll just say that not a lot have, of progress has been made. I think very, very incremental progress has been made and that increment, those increments are pretty much solely in that draft class, which is like the, the smallest increments of increments. And yeah, then, players, yeah. you know, and and then we've all got our own disagreements exactly on what Davis Mills is or what his potential is. Um, I was I was down on the pick when they first made it. I like it a little bit more. Do not think that that's your franchise quarterback. So like, what are we talking about anyway, right? And like, and this kind of hits to your point earlier. Like, okay, continuity for what? Continuity for continuity's sake, or like, are we continuing a thing that we actually like? Uh, so so there is that. I do think that. <laughs> Like, look, I know you like you're trying to figure out what's the deal with Pep. Pep Hamilton is a well-respected coach in this league, and and has got and, and like, look, I don't I don't know what it's going to look like. I could be wrong about this, but Pep Hamilton over Tim Kelly is an automatic upgrade. Like, I don't need to be so like that is an upgrade. Okay, I don't know if that's necessarily like the first guy that you wanted to be your play caller or the first guy that you might have wanted to be your offensive coordinator. But it's been Tim Kelly the last two years. Now it's Pep Hamilton. I think that that is progress. Um, d- d- from going from David Cully to now again, hiring David Cully, firing David Cully, I don't need to explain to me. It was the hiring of him in the first place that I will just never be able to wrap my mind around. Also, when we talk about process and how just screwed up the process was, like, I just wonder how was it, uh, you know, they made it, well, what was the rule change where you could fire a coach early in the season and then that gives you a chance to start? Two weeks earlier, you couldn't uh, you guys, yeah. Right, right. And so there was a period there at the end of the season where we were kind of waiting on, all right, are they going to go ahead and fire this guy so they can start yeah. their coaching search early, yeah. right? Well, and I know that even when they did finally fire him, it took him a whole month just to hire the guy that was already in the building. But it would have made a little bit more sense or maybe they could have, uh, cut some time uh, postseason, cut some time by firing that guy early, starting to do their search and seeing what what's the market like? What's the landscape? Can we get a guy that we like? Can we get the guy that we want? Meanwhile, Lovey has, is our associate head coach. We're going to promote him to interim. We're going to keep him in the mix and, and maybe he's our fallback or somebody that will give a legitimate chance in this in the running for next head coach. And we're going to do that and we're going to go from there. 
I don't understand keeping David Cully for as long as they did. And the, like, you know what I mean? Like if you, you like you could you could fire him in season and promote your in-house candidate, see what you like about it and then do an evaluation. You know, it just it just speaks to how much time was wasted, how much how much thought was wasted, um, empty thought at times, it seems like. Um, and so, and yeah, and we'll just we'll just agree on the point that Nick Casario has not done anything to necessarily redeem himself outside of making pretty good. I thought he made some pretty good draft picks, hit on hit on some free agents, missed on some free agents. And I wouldn't even know if, if I don't know if hit is the right. Yeah, word. Like, yeah. They're, they're not stars. I, <laughs> the, 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 I don't know. What is, what is the word I'm looking you, for when, when you sign a free yeah. agent and he's serviceable? He collect, he, yeah, he, he collected some pieces and role players. And, you know, if, if you know, if, if I yeah. think if you think of the pie is 100 percent, some of these guys are one, two percenters, you know, in terms of a complete football yeah. team. But all that work and progress behind the scenes needs to start showing up. And we we understand that. I expect to win at everything we do, and there's pressure to perform in our organization. But do you think he's feeling the pressure, though? Do you think he's starting to, because he's had so many answers about, I know he said he's immune, but then yesterday, I thought, we we'll just want to thank the McNairs, thanks so much, you know, and the Cal saying we're accountable. Do you think he feels it at all? That, that's probably my biggest worry. He doesn't. Is that he does. Yeah, that, that, that's got to, that, that I would say is my biggest concern right now, is that he doesn't actually feel the pressure that perhaps given the relationships that allowed him to be here or that brought him here, I should say not allowed him to be here, but the relationships that brought him here, namely Jack Easterby, that as long as those relationships are intact, man, I'm honestly not sure. Like I've, I've said this as well. Like what are they evaluated by? We know what we evaluate them by fans, media evaluators, <laughs> You know, like people who follow and look from the outside, but that doesn't really matter, right? Like it, it matters to us, but it doesn't really matter in terms of, you know, functional progress and actual results, right? Like it only really matters what Cal McNair thinks. Like Cal McNair is the gatekeeper here on, okay, hired Nick Casario. How long of a leash does he have? How long do you give him to figure this out? And I don't know the answer to that, man. I, I know that the, that the relationships there between uh, between those guys, namely Jack Easterby, who who just does a marvelous job of making people feel, you know, like giving them the feels. And so when you are operating off of feeling and emotion and, and passion and, and and relationships, you know, logic is somewhat secondary. Logic or can be. You know, logic and reason can be sort of on the back burner or somewhat muddied along with it all. You know, so you're using some logic, but then you lean on, you know, your faith or your relationship or whatever it is. Man, I do not know. I don't know what Jack Easterby is evaluated by. I don't because like what what would Jack Easterby have to do to lose his job? I can't tell you. And therefore, with Nick Casario, you know, what I mean, like outside of something that I don't think is going to happen like outside of like a crime or a felony which we don't we don't wish that on anybody like outside of something obvious what do those guys got to do to get fired you know again they're not going to do those things so like what within the football structure would they have to do I don't know I really don't and I think that is the that perhaps is the biggest thing to be concerned about or a very very valid concern for Texans fans who are like okay 
whether I believe in this guy or not, whether I'm going to try to be optimistic about this regime or not, I would at least like to know at what point do we pull the plug? I would at least like to know that, that we've got an owner who will stand with his back straight and speak with some bass in his voice and say, Hey, Enough is enough, you know. <laughs> he couldn't, he, en- he couldn't, enough of this shit, he couldn't even get out the first I, sentence yesterday without mumbling it. I don't know if you noticed that, but I tried to clip it for the intro, and uh, he couldn't even get the first sentence out. And also before, and also before the fire alarm, so can't blame that. So, well, yeah, do you know? Well, do you know? Talking about anything that used to be valued on, I, I would probably say fire safety and operations all come under one banner. So. I know people were kind of joking that he pulled the fire alarm right in the middle of the floor. Logistics was a word that uh, was sort of the ambiguous kind of hard to really figure out what he means word that Bill O'Brien used to use all the time. Logistics, Mm. Uh, nutrition, cafeteria. All right. Yeah. And we ate in the cafeteria yesterday before you all, before the whole thing, you know? So like, Yeah. I was going along the lines of what you're saying. Those those are the things that he, you know, that he would have. But, you know, I, I'll say the fire alarm thing, while maybe embarrassing in the moment, I thought was kind of funny and lightened the mood up a little bit. Yeah, uh, probably not too. Not that we need to be in there like yucking it up or anything, but it was a funny little icebreaker, yeah. even if it was ill-timed for the question that it happened in. Yeah, and I think it was it probably, yeah, you probably did, you lightened the mood a little. You probably, you know, and I suppose when it's something like, you know, potential like, Life changing, like if you were to get caught up and shit like that, then like it puts football in perspective and it kind of does all this kind of stuff. And you kind of got to take that all sometimes with a, a broader view of like what life really is and all that kind of stuff. And I think the the sentiment that I took out of it was just that it felt like you meandered your way to a very obvious result without necessarily a plan. There's still questions on, you know, who's got the utmost influence and who's going to start something from A to B. And you know, and, and I just don't understand for a second, right? If you if you had people, and whether it's true or not, we'll never quite know. But when you went through the cycle last year, you could almost argue the the pool of candidates that they managed to speak to, or even the names they were linked to, Joe Brady, Eber Flus, Brandon Staley, were all names that they you know that they were you know uh, they were all kind of linked with at some point. The pool of candidates, yes, last year was better than this year. Now, obviously, you had all the Watson kind of stuff, and it all kind of crumbled away. And I'm sure those two things went hand in hand, but. It doesn't feel like many steps have been taken forward in the sense of, you know, rebuilding, trying to build back. And I think the whole thing with McCowan and, you know, and he may or may not emerge as QB coach in the next couple of days. I've been checking there, see if any kind of updates. I know they've kind of pieced together some not necessarily household names for coaching staff. Guys are going to have to, as you said, make a lot of scraps. Uh, to try and you know have this sense of progress, but I think yeah, it was it, the continuity, a steady hand, is where I'm at right now. When actually, even if you'd have got somebody who you could have sold, and you get this kind of fake impression of progress, just because it's new, we don't have it. We've never had that for a very long time, and we're still talking about some stuff, you know, like. <laughs> Easter be and all this kind of shit that we're talking about almost three years ago when the guy arrived in 2019 and you're sitting there you, you know it's common themes again sort of like you know n- lack of progress and you can you know and it's easy to convince yourself and it's easy to give that oh you've got a new coach that great things are going to happen but when you critically analyse it, and I always try and be objective on this show because that's the number one thing that people always say, you know, when you give you feedback, 
is the fact that it's you know it's straight to the point, and we and we try and see it for what it is, and don't necessarily you know take the storylines that people are hanging out there like hooks for the fish's mouth, you know. And I think it's it feels it's just that repetition again. It's 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 small iterative changes, but there's no big strides forward, and we need fifty strides forward to even get to the playoffs, you know. So when we're just taking a couple of baby steps every off season. How long does this perpetual cycle continue? Because that's that's the point. Does he feel the pressure? I don't think he does. I think you're right, Brandon. But it's like, well, at what point does the pressure come, or what point does the change occur? Because what's the view now? With what, what do you, where do you see the next three to five years with, with uh, with Pep Hamilton with Lovey Smith? Do you expect these guys to be here, or do you think somebody's going to have to blow it up? Because I don't know if we've got anybody to blow it up. Yeah, no, I I think that just real quick on. The back to the, the part about wasting time because we made this point on the radio too. It doesn't feel like the rebuild has actually started. When does it still it doesn't. Yeah. yeah, doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like it. And, and and now to be fair, I do think that it that it has like just just time alone, not not by anything necessarily of an action that somebody did. They've cleared right? the ground. It's just, it. just an empty yeah. empty plot. <laughs> well, I just when I talk about accountability, it's not like. It's not like I feel like somebody did something that to make the progress. I thought that that some of the wounds were going to be healed by time anyway. Uh, like the, for example, the draft picks. Well, it, you, they could have hired you and I to be the GM, and the draft picks were going to come back this year. So, like, that's helpful just by time. But back to the point: twenty twenty one, a lost year. I, I I don't see how you view it any other way. Like I I, I spoke earlier about you know, the few things from the season that they might want to keep. But that to me doesn't make it not a lost year. Like it was forgettable. It was bad football. I, there were two games where during the game I fell asleep. Uh, like I, I fell asleep in the second half of the first Colts game. Um, I fell asleep at times in that Arizona Cardinals game. And I do this for a job that I take seriously and fell asleep watching the game. It was that boring. It was that bad to watch, man. And I don't feel like I even need to apologize for it. They should apologize to us for producing such bad football that would make somebody as passionate and as prideful as myself fall asleep during the game during the day. You know, so like that's that happened. okay? and I would just agree that this was a lost year and that it, it, it might go down as like even more so than the inaugural year, because that was the first year and there was excitement. That this might go down as the most forgettable, at least football wise. Oh no, doubt. Yeah. Not, not 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 counting again the the headlines and stuff that people cling on. It was a very juicy and interesting year headline wise, but just the football aspect of it for maybe the most forgettable year in franchise history. I'll say that. To your question about Lovey Smith and Pep Hamilton, I have not ruled out the possibility that they can do a good job. I think that, for, so let's, let's go with Lovey first. As a head coach, mixed bag, right? Had some success. You, you illustrated this earlier. Had some success, had some not so success. I don't even count Illinois personally. I just look at the NFL and look at, hey, he was really good in, in Chicago for the most part. Uh, Tampa, not so much, even though they were making progress. I, th I thought they just kind of pulled the plug on that early. Like it wasn't good. But he only gave the guy two years. And I think, quite honestly, what happened to Lovey Smith in Tampa was is part of what Brian Flores is trying to illustrate, the shorter leashes that black coaches get. Yeah. And I don't think that can be totally discounted um, just sort of in the overall larger conversation. But, like, moving past that, 
I think that he could actually be a serviceable head coach. It's nothing to get excited about. But one thing that you can't discount, and I said this earlier, is what role Nick Casario plays in that as well. I think whoever your coach was going to be, from Lovey, Josh McCown, Jonathan Gannon, was always going to be somebody that, that was built somewhat in the image of, and less of a, a yes man, you know, kind of guy of that David Cully was, less of a puppet, right? Not that, but only somebody who could be built in the image of Nick Casario in the sense that, hey, this is, this is sort of the theme of what we want to do. This is how we want to go about it. Like, I'm going to have a tough time evaluating the coach without evaluating Nick Casario at the same exact time. I think he's that involved in the overall coaching. We go to practices. He's on the field. We go to the game. He's in the box. You know, uh, I've seen him wear a sports jacket now twice, which was yesterday, uh, Tuesday, and the yeah. introductory press conference on Zoom. The guy wears windbreakers and visors and is in the mix of, of coaching. So, like, to me, you talk about the leash and accountability, like, that all needs to be a part of it. Like, not just the player acquisition stuff, but the actual coaching itself. Nick Casario needs to be evaluated with that as well, I firmly believe. Pep Hamilton as a play caller, man, can it get worse? Can it no, get worse? I don't think it can. I just, I, I, I think as well, it's like, to be able the players to execute, he likes to run predominantly power, and that's kind of the likes yes. of New England. So we got the guys that can go and do that. I don't, don't think so. Um, you know, they got, they've got to fix that. Like, yeah. if, they, if they don't get no guards in here, yeah. you know? Forget it. If they don't get yeah. some interior offensive linemen in here, I don't know what the hell we're talking about anyway. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the game. No, you're right. The game becomes so. I think it's it's like that sort of thing. It's like they're basically okay. Maybe they're starting from scratch instead of from minus this year, and then okay, we can build some. And, and you're right. I mean, is there a bad team can win six, seven, eight games? No, no doubt about it. Like that happens. It will continue to happen. You can get a very average team with some unbelievable transcendent talent on it all the way to the Super Bowl. We're about to watch that on Sunday night. You know, I think, you know, strange things can happen in certain ways if you can, can kind of get some level of continuity over a two to three year period. But when you hire a 64 year old coach with a strange hiring process, when we've sat in here and talked for an hour and 30 minutes about lots of stuff that isn't really football um, and all the reasons why it doesn't look right and why stuff smells and it always feels like something's up or it just doesn't quite make sense and it doesn't follow the traditional route of what you'd expect a professional ball club to to do and put together you know for a like for people that deserve so much better and you think well you've got a period of time here to kind of amass some talent and really you're all your and I, I and I keep going back to the point was I I, I think Casario will get a third crack at this he's probably going to have to wait two to three years um before he can even think about it because he's he's really made you know you can get away with an early mistake a second mistake fine um but the third i just think you know that will be a that will be a very very short leash if it is one but then it just goes back to the point of of an ownership you know cal's ideal is that he can just give it to somebody and he can just sit back and nod his head and agree with stuff when they come to it and give the sign off. You know, it's like the Queen here with the government. She has no say, but you've got there's a symbolic sign off. You know, there's no input. There's no, you know, there's no kind of there's no kind of real, you know, objective kind of change or, or any inflection they can make in it. It's just all symbolic. And it feels like that's the kind of role he thinks he can take, but it's not as simple as that. So 
yeah, you just got to wonder. It was great seeing Lovey Smith up there. I thought he's 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 just a just as cool as hell. Like he just he's got it. He's just very measured. Been around the game was a pro, and I think our standards are set so low that just having somebody in there that felt like they were competent and wouldn't make a mess of it was was a relief. And I think that's how far we are. And you've got to take that lens of all that stuff and how long that's going to take to get back because. The 7-8 game shit, I don't care, I don't want it. You know, you go back to that 24-point first quarter in Kansas City, you were on the cusp. And once you get a taste of that life, all this just seems meaningless to me. Yeah, and so kind of just to to speak to all of that, I think that what really matters and, like, what, what is Lovey Smith as a head coach? I have no reason to believe, no reason to believe that Lovey Smith can't do at least an adequate job and maybe even an, an exceptional one if they bring in the right players. Like if, cause look, David Cully was bad, but David Cully was also gonna, never going to be good because he didn't have players. And like, I'm not trying to make that a, 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 as an excuse for him being bad. Cause I think he was independently bad. Okay. But I don't think that even if David Cully was good, that like maybe we, we would have been able to tell it, but it's not like the results would have been there. It's not like, it's not like we would have really been able to, to, to sell it at all, you know, and, and he was bad. The team was bad. And I don't know in what scenario he was going to be good. Nick Asario is kind of the, the theme here or the, the, the one to really focus on because I just don't like the last time Lovey Smith had good players. I ain't talking about players that, that play at Illinois because those are the scraps that don't, those are the guys that don't make it to Michigan and Ohio State and Wisconsin. I ain't talking about those guys. I'm not talking about whatever that outfit was at Tampa Bay and having to deal with, with Jameis Winston at the time, who I actually did think was going to be good. But I'm like the last time he had solid players in Chicago, I know that was many moons ago. Like I was probably in, I feel like I was in high school when they were, uh, when they went to the Super Bowl all those years ago. But like, I don't have a reason to believe that if they get good players in here, you know, that's not to say they're going to bring in Brian Urlacher and Devin Hester or anything, but, but like bring in some good players and I don't have a reason to believe that Lovey Smith can't work with them or that Nick Casario himself can't work with them. Like whoever's doing the coaching. All right. Like Lovey Smith's got enough of a track record with good players. All right. Nick Casario, I know is in a different role now, but he came from new England where they would get good players, you know, or they would get bargains. Like they would get talent you know, which is something that they didn't have. It would be, it would be a shame if the reason why all of this fails is because they're unable to accumulate talent because they, they miss on their picks or they miss on all of their player acquisitions, all of their trades, you know, they trade, what was it? They trade, if they trade another fifth round pick for what is, what is analogous to Anthony Miller this coming um, off season or before training camp, you know, like if they do that, or a guy that's going to be on the team for six weeks, if that long, I don't even know if it was that long. So like, if that happens, you know, if those things continue to happen, there ain't nothing to feel good about here. Uh, folks, it did. It, it's, it's the get out your bourbon, whiskey, vodka, whatever it is that you use and, and, or do, or, or like whatever your coping mechanism is. I don't want to say just alcohol, whatever your coping is, coping mechanism is get it out. Okay. Cause if, if that's the type of, if what we've seen so far is what's going to continue to be the case, then it's not looking good. But if they can get Lovey some players, right? Get, get Davis Mills, Pep Hamilton and Davis Mills. Again, 
Davis, eh, you know, all right, whatever. Get those guys like a, a running back. Yeah, you know, for God's sake, yeah, Jarrell somebody that can just is looks like he's not, you know, been around for too long. Yeah, like a running back, get a couple of guards in there that can clear some space. Get a left guard yeah. and a right guard. Yeah. Like uh, the, the, the biggest, the biggest thing that annoyed me about the off season. Okay, the biggest thing that annoyed me, and and which about the off season and ultimately just carried into the the actual season. All right, let's just call it the biggest thing that annoyed me about twenty twenty one was that instead of addressing their issue at guard, okay, and this is a football point here, instead of addressing the issue at guard, we might have even talked about this before. Zach Fulton was your right guard the year before. Good riddance, all right? He wasn't any good. Instead of finding a guard or, or deciding that Max Sharping, who had also had his job taken during the season, during his second season, right, evaluating that position and saying, hey, we're not going to move our already decent right tackle and try to plug in that and try to plug in those positions. We're not going to move our right tackle who might even be good enough to play left tackle. Whole another story. We're not going to move him in the guard. We're going to go get, we're going to keep what works, which is our tackles. Jeremy Tunsil and Titus Howard. Titus, maybe, maybe not a superstar tackle, but an adequate tackle. We're going to keep that. And we're going to go get some actual guards, some road graders. Some badasses, some guys who are going to push you on to your backside, like some actual guys like that. Titus Howard is an athlete playing offensive lineman. He's a big old dude, but like he's not a guard. He ain't a guard. He's an athlete. And so you're able to and he's big and strong. So you're able to put him at guard. But putting him at guard and him being a guard are two totally different things. Totally different things. Okay, so like they did that and they created. They created a problem, an additional problem, rather than fixing the one that they were trying to fix. Okay, so now you've got a hole at right tackle. And I know Charlie Heck played okay at times. He got his ass kicked at times. Uh, I know Marcus Cannon was supposed to be the plan there. He's older than I am and uh, and was hurt most of the time. Okay, I understand that. (laughs) But don't. I was going to really get get to cussing bad. Don't jack with the right tackle position. Lead a guy there and go get you a guard, draft one, uh, sign one, like figure that out. Go get adequate guards. Don't create a problem to solve one. Yeah, make you know, it, make I, it I, functional. I, I'm still not over there. That's it. Just make huh? it functional. That's, uh, that's all I want. Yeah. yeah. Functional. Yeah. and yeah. I'm still not over there. Yeah. I'm still not over there. An ability. Just, but it's just mind-blowing decisions that, again, have been overseen by the, the, the supposed, you know, overbearing general manager that's happened so um and look that might be the reason why james camden's no longer here that might be you know we're kind of getting down the road and what was meant to be a discussion about a head coach but this team's not as simple as that but i suppose you just give functional players more players that can get open and against man coverage um in the passing attack guys who can make holes in the run game a running back who can move (laughs) by any stretch of what is modern day pro football athleticism yeah, and just get a couple of guys who can just play zone on the back end and a couple of guys that can heat up a little up front and will be huge strides from, you know, those four things, those four or five things. And look, it's a big wish list. There's only so many avenues. We're not going to sign many guys in free agency that are going to be big money or what have you, but there's going to be guys who we need to pick up uh, through the draft. And I think our, the draft is our, we're, you know, we're in a position where the draft is our main outlet to get out of this. And it's our... It's our, it's our lifeline, but as I said, I think to to expect any 
sort of considerable leaps forward, the success rate is going to have to be historic on the next two draft classes for this team to come together in a way that that really that really hits and it starts to be become what it was in 2018, what it was in 2019, and that, you know you got to, you got to be realistic about that, and I, I say that to manage my my own expectations more so than anyone else's. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm right there, and like my expectations are low. I'll admit that, and and maybe that colors how I go into evaluating these things. You guys heard me going around a little bit earlier about, hey man, these are who the Texans have become. You know, like it's the reality. Yeah, like when we talk about accountability and, and we're outraged because we feel ourselves, believe ourselves to be reasonable people in how we think about these things, and we're like, man, that's jacked up. You know, like. <laughs> Like, why? how did you take a month to hire a guy that you've known for a year? Huh. Doesn't seem like it uh, makes a lot of sense there, right? Uh, I'm, I'm right there, but I'm like, uh, yeah, but it's the Texans. It's like, this is, this is who they are, who they've become. Um, I know my, my colleague Landry Locker, part of his, which I, I've called him out on the hypocrisy of this, but part of his... Uh, his logic and reasoning for wanting Josh McCown, aside from the fact that he's like, you know, he lived in Cleveland when McCown was there and Hugh Jackson told him privately that he thought Josh McCown could be a, a head coach one day. So like he wants to feel himself important and early on the Josh McCown train, right? Like that's, that's part of it. Uh, but the other part of it, he said, you know, and excuse my language to anybody, but he said, fuck it. Like, fuck it. We, yeah, like, well, it can't get any worse. Yeah. Take Bucket, punt, yeah. You know, and so and I understood that. Uh now I, I wasn't willing to go with him there because I thought it was just so ridiculous. But if it's fuck it, all right, Lovey Smith, fuck it. Let's go. Yeah. Let's figure it out. Well that's players yeah. in here. Well that's give, it. Give and it, something to work with. it could have been a high upside or it could have been, but it just it, it just would it looked within the context of everything. That's what you gotta remember, it's all within the context. Nobody wants this job because it's within the context of what's going on. And until you can take these steps forward and look credible and look a realistic proposition for somebody to go and risk their career that they get one, two, and Lovey Smith a very third rare, you know, a rare third chance at it, then that that's the difference between being normal and being part of the and being part of the uh, the mainstream. And then once you get part of the mainstream, then you can start looking at you know looking at the top tier. But you know we need to just take take some steps back into normality, I think, and, and be considered functional and a realistic a place for for players, for coaches. Um, and, you know, and, the, and, it, and it is generally that bad that you, you've got to wonder at times, would there be guys who might refuse to sign in the draft? Because, you know, like, we're not far off that. And to think we are, we're, you know, isn't, isn't, uh, isn't realistic. So, you know, there's just so much, like, PR and positive steps. But hopefully Lovey can just, just steady the ship a common influence, get good coaches that know how to relate to these guys and we can get better results than the talent would dictate or suggest you should get and you can start eking forward season by season. But I think that's where we are right now. I don't think we've moved on from there and it's fucking depressing to keep going back to these points, but it's kind of the realistic summation of where we are, Brandon, I think. Any last uh, points before we wrap this one up? I, I had a question for you. Um, about Brian Flores, okay, the lawsuit aside, Brian Flores, the coach, the coach. How would you have felt if they if they had hired Brian Flores? How would that have made you feel? What would you have been your evaluation of that? Well, I think he's he 
by his own admission, he's put his career on the line. So I think the, the day he filed that lawsuit, I think he knew he wasn't getting a, a job. Would I have wanted him to get a job? Yeah, absolutely, because he was the, he's just come off two winning seasons. He was by far the best candidate. And, and look, at the start, and I, I read in a lot of those articles, and I literally listed all the bullet points I took at the articles, but the, and it just sounded like Bill O'Brien. But then when you see all the reasons with the lawsuit and all this other stuff, and I think that's probably partly why that was like the first thing that really pissed him off was like the 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 the, the character assassination that, that they went yeah. after him. Um, and look, he's got a kind of he's just got a kind of demeanor where he looks angry. But you know, and even when he was on the the the, the morning uh, show on ESPN with Nate Burleson and the lawyers and everything, he's still got that. He looks like he's about to you know erupt and kind of go you know to tell you some home truths. But that's the kind of edge you want, and it's like like the you know a, com- a commander on the field that you want to be leading your team. And that's the kind of guy I want. Like similar O'Brien would that have maybe blown up with him and Casario got on. I don't know, but. At least he was a bona fide head coach that was in a bad spot because he got let go unfairly, and we're in a bad spot. And it could have been a convenient manager, and you, and you could have actually seen him being here three to five year period, building, adding talent over a period of time. Now that's not to say Lovey can't do that with age. I'm not saying that, but I think he's shown he can coach in this current climate where the league's changed. If if he is true to being wanting Justin Herbert, he's a better ta- talent evaluator than some of his colleagues were in Miami, and he could have been he could have been a, a you know a guy who would have taken you forward unexpectedly, um, you know, or against popular opinion. Uh, but because he's old school, because he's fiery, um, because he didn't play the billionaires game, which we're all playing and we're all talking about. That's the irony of it, isn't it? Right, that these guys, you know. Players like pawns make money off everything you do, whether it's when you're going to the the pharmacy, when you're going to buy a coffee in the morning, wherever it is. When we're talking about this, when I'm buying tickets, when I'm flying to games, when you know when you're talking sponsors at the station, it's all going one place, and that's just the world we live in. So there's an element of me of saying, well, yeah, is the system wrong? Is it you know is there some chronic problems there? Yes, uh, but how much can one man fight? And 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 I applaud him one tenfold. You know what? It's such a brave thing to do. But actually, you know, from a selfish point of view, and for his own career, he might have been better just, he might, you know, he might not have got this job and he might have been better doing it after um, the fact. And then, because he would have really had a sort of, you know, interview for all these teams, they all told me they wouldn't take me on. And here I am, you know, out of my ear in in the street. So he could have he could have taken that, that view and done it after. I don't know why he chose that timing, but if, of all these candidates, would you have wanted him to take you forward and give it, give your team a level of credibility. Again, it'd be anti-establishment, but we've been in that we've been in that place for a number of years. So I think he would have been a convenient fit the more I thought about it. But but you know, I think the, the day that suit got filed, because you're never going to get employed by a which is effectively a private business and there's no paper trails, you can't prove it. And it's not a it's not a fair fight. Um so I don't know how much you'll ever win apart from but you will bring awareness, but I don't think anything more than that in the short term. Um because it's too entrenched, it's too deep seated, and it's ta- it's going to take a long time to to level up the playing field and make it a an environment where people get a fair crack of the whip. Yeah, well, if it was worth it to him personally, the more power to him. I think that's all that really matters. Yeah. Like if he if he evaluated that and said, hey, whether it's a hey, I've made enough money or I got other ways to make money or whatever it is, like I want a coach, but. I'm willing to make this sacrifice and do this for this cause that I believe in, this principled cause that I believe in, the more power to him. He even said in those interviews, 
at least one of them that I watched that this was that he wants to coach, that he loves coaching, feels that he's getting to do it, but that this is bigger than coaching. That was the exact quote. This is bigger than coaching. But the reason why I asked you that is because I wonder if, like, is it the case that Brian Flores was just holding out for that Giants job and was just hoping that he'd get that Giants job because as he described that it was his dream job. He's from Brooklyn. Um, you know, the Giants don't play in Brooklyn, but, you know, that's, that's close enough to be in the hometown team. And I could see him preferring, if he's going to go anywhere, preferring maybe to go to the Giants. Much more storied franchise. But for what it's worth, I don't have a lot of love for the Mars. But for what it's worth, that's at least an established ownership group, uh, you know, or family, I should say, the Mara family. And, you know, it's the giant. Like, I don't think you can make an argument for the Texans over the Giants as a franchise, especially historically, like maybe in certain years, but especially historically, I get that. So I wonder, was it the case that Brian Flores didn't really want the Texans job if he couldn't get the probably not would have only would have only wanted the Texans job if he couldn't get the one that he wanted. And then reality hit before he even interviewed for it, mind you, because the Belichick, the Belichick text message comes before the interview days before the interview does, does that sort of triggering factor there make him sort of change his whole outlet or, or outlook, I should say on the entire process and he's like, well, the hell with all of these jobs is racist and is a conspiracy and they're going to hire a white dude anyway, which, by the way, was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> but so like, so like, is he, is that the case? Yeah. Because I'm asking and I'm asking that question because I'm trying to talk through this and think through this. I'm asking that question because it begs the question for the Texans. Why not just hire Brian Flores? You, you took all of this time in your interviewing process and maybe it's just, Hey, we were doing our due diligence. We wanted to interview everybody that we thought was, was that we were interested in and qualified. We didn't want to just rush, but it does make me wonder. And, and to be clear here, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite here. Mm. I didn't want Brian Flores yeah. because in part because of the character assassination that was being done. But I, I have not liked Brian Flores necessarily for a while. Okay. Long before uh, even before his back-to-back winning seasons, I kind of had gotten down on Brian Flores for for some other reasons, it, it, just in his initial, in his first season as the head coach. So I didn't want Brian Flores personally. I would have understood and accepted Brian Flores yeah. as the hire, though, because he is, like, it was a little bit personal for me. Just professionally evaluating him as a coach, done a decent job, I would have taken that and, and, and wouldn't have factored in my personal feelings about it. I would have just let it go, all right? So I wanted to be clear about that because I've actually been on record on that in other places. I don't want people to think I was a hypocrite. I didn't want him. But in retrospect, I wonder, hey, man, why didn't y'all hire that guy? Why didn't you hire that guy earlier? Why didn't you just do that? Because that was the best guy, you know, at least one of them. was certainly one of the best guys on the, uh, when you talk about young up-and-coming coaches, you know, you can make whatever case you want to make for Lovey Smith in the track record. But, like, the young and up-and-coming, let's just call them 45 and under or 50 and under, he would be in that group. Why not just hire that guy and not let this process play out the way it did? And then what happens is you can't factor, you, you can't account for the things that were going to happen next, that somehow the Giants were going to let the cat out the bag and tell Bill Belichick before they told 
to tell Bill, Bill Belichick that they were hiring Brian Dayball before they t- told Brian Flores that they weren't hiring him. So, like, that has nothing to do with the Texans, but they couldn't account for it. Why waste time? And to me, the only justifiable thing, the only way I let the Texans off the hook for that, you know, aside from process and doing your due diligence, the only way I let the Texans off the hook for that, for not offering Brian Flores a job already, which I don't think they did, would be if he was holding out for the Giants that whole time, you know, and just didn't want him yet. It was like, hey, you know, I still got other options, blah, blah, blah. But to me, when I look at him, like, hey, you should have maybe pulled this trigger here and, and, and hired this guy. You, you interviewed, they interviewed Brian Flores, not even a full 24 hours. Certainly not a full 48. Yeah. I don't think it was even a full 24 hours after they fired him. <laughs> Tell it. I know. It'd be yeah, 12. it was almost immediate. It was, it was immediately. So, like, I just don't, I don't and, it, and the relationships are there. You know, Brian Flores himself, whether he was lying or not, Brian Flores himself said that he was st- still open and willing and wanting to coach those two teams, knowing damn well he wasn't going to be able to do it because he had filed that lawsuit. But in those interviews after the lawsuit, he says, hey, I'd still like to coach the Texans or the Saints, you know? So it, it just, I just don't understand why they wouldn't have been more aggressive with Brian Flores and, and instead did this nonsense with Josh McCown. <laughs> and then time goes on, the league reveals itself, and Brian Flores is like, oh, okay. You just fired me after a back-to-back winning seasons. And... Now here's this conspiracy to hire the white guy, even though you're going to interview me in a dog and pony show. Oh, and one of the other teams that I'm interviewing for really likes the less qualified white guy over me anyway. Like I, I like I see how he went off and, you know, cause I, I think that's the, yeah. It's a culmination of stuff that's happened to me. Yeah. yeah. I think they just set him off. Right. But, but it makes me wonder back to a Texans perspective. Why didn't you guys just go ahead and do that? Yeah. Go ahead and hire that guy. You probably weren't again, going back to the point that I was making about, it's the Texans, right? How much can you, how much yeah. better can you expect? Why didn't you just go ahead and do that? But if, but my thought was, and and, and just in terms of hiring them, as I said, it grew on me as, as the process went on, partly because the candidates, and partly because you think, well, you know, you know, there's the fuck it thing because it's like, well, it can't get any worse. Doesn't matter if you piss off other teams, but I, I can guarantee there was some some calls put into the Texans about it after the lawsuit. You know, I, I don't dispute that happened. It has to have happened because we wouldn't, you know, this whole sort of dynamic wouldn't exist if there wasn't those sort of underhand dealings and, and back, you know, and backroom kind of backroom kind of plays as we've seen the world works. But the, the the thought that did cross my mind when when he's sitting there on primetime TV with two expensive lawyers, with two guys who can get you on a on a show like that that quickly, who can get you the media coverage you want. I think that must have been in the works for quite a while, and it might even been in the works before he left Miami because it it felt like a lot of stuff came together very very quickly um, to get you know if you think you get all that document prepared, how long would that take? Um, by the time they took all the information from, by the time he contacted them, you know if that came through his agency, uh, you know or whoever, and how it all came together, that must that doesn't just come over in the space of three weeks. That that takes a long time. You know we've seen that um, so. I think that's been the works for a while. So maybe other people knew about it, and maybe that was part of the Giants. Maybe you know. So there's 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 always two sides to every story. Um, has he been treated unfairly? Absolutely, there's no doubt about that. But there's a lot of stuff that all kind of comes to the surface at varying times, and a lot of it comes to the surface due to people's control and the way they want the narrative to filter out. Well, yeah, he went back and told you what was going on when he first got hired, like yeah. the twenty. 20- the 2019 season. We've been planning that, it for a long time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, at least, at the very least, 
I don't know how long he's been planning the lawsuit specifically. Yeah, but, but be it thinking does about seem it. keep notes and stuff. Yeah. yeah, right. He's been he, he's been collecting receipts just in case this day came. That's what I get the sense of. Like I don't know exactly when he was going to file the lawsuit, but he definitely has been keeping receipts since the very beginning because he's able to. Oh, the John Elway thing was before Miami, right? Like that's that was right after the Super Bowl, and he's kind of probably at his, you know, the, his most marketable holding. Uh, Sean McVay's offense to three points in the Super Bowl, right? And then that's when he becomes a hot coaching candidate. He's going into that Denver Broncos interview thinking, hey, I'm hot shit. They're, you know, they're going to take me seriously. And here comes John Elway, right on brand, still drunk from the night before, allegedly. Living a big life. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and you see what kind of a hard-ass Brian Flores is on camera, like super serious. I would have, I would love a parody of that. Super serious Brian Flores can't crack a smile and 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 John Elway can't stay sober just long enough to get to the interview at like the dichotomy of those two guys. But but yeah, they did say in the interview, though, that they first reached out to CBS. I only watched the CBS and the ESPN get up interviews. I didn't see the one that was on CNN, but the one on CBS it was mentioned like Nate Burleson even mentioned it to the start. Hey, you guys reached out to us last week. And then the lawyer ends up saying later on, yeah, hey, back when he first got this, uh, back when he first got this text message from Bill Belichick, that's when we reached out to you, which had been a whole week before that. So so that gave him at least a week to go find the research from that diversity and inclusion report that they cited with all those statistics that talked about where the, the league has failed. And then that gave him, a, I think, enough time to put all of those receipts together that they already had about whatever Brian Flores' gripes were, um, you know, throughout, throughout time. But it, again, as far as the Texans go, I wish in some ways, again, as somebody, this is in retrospect, again, as somebody who didn't want Brian Flores in the beginning, but in retrospect, in some ways, I wish or at least wonder what this would have looked like, what all of this would have looked like if they had just pulled the trigger and hired Brian Flores before it got, that deep into yeah. the process and he might not he might not filed it yeah yeah and 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 but again also another thing that i don't know as as far as a factor into it it's possible that that was not a consideration if he coveted that giant's job as much as the lawsuit indicates yeah the text message certainly they send yeah i think yeah i mean it's uh yeah you could play what ifs i think <laughs> this team for for uh we could sit here for probably another 30 hours and and talk about you know all the things that could have happened but yeah at least i think brandon i think to cap us off i think you know lovey gives us some stability some level of credibility and hopefully we can not take steps back but take incremental steps forward on many areas of this team in 2022 to try and get back to get back to the um how the real world lives but <laughs> seems like it's uh, been a long time out in the wilderness yeah i feel good not to be embarrassed by the coach anymore like Bill O'Brien didn't necessarily embarrass me as a coach, but eventually once he became the general manager, I was just embarrassed by his presence, general manager, coach, or otherwise, whatever it was. Like I just, it just didn't work anymore. So then we can go from that to David Cully and we're like, I was embarrassed for the team, embarrassed for David Cully as well. Uh, to be honest with you, as a black man, I'm like, man, this makes me uncomfortable seeing this guy out here being in a position that he has no business being in, overexposing himself. Like, I did like his his shortcomings. I mean, yeah. like I I did not feel <laughs> yeah. I didn't feel good about that at all. 
you know, um, as a fan of the team, uh, as a, as a person who covers the team and tries to think about things critically and fairly. And then again, per, from a personal standpoint, like one black man to another, I didn't like seeing that. Okay. So I was a little bit embarrassed by that. If they had hired Josh McCown, you know, race aside. Okay. And, and you don't have to put race aside. You can include it, but just the whole dude skipped the line and had an opera has had opportunities to coach because people respect him and think so highly of him and think he's going to be such a great coach apparently. But like, so why not, why not go do that? Why not try that out? Why not test that theory and validate those opinions and then come be the head coach? You know, it doesn't make sense why Lovey Smith couldn't have been the head coach last year. Josh McCown comes in and is, you know, some kind of assistant. Co- I don't know. Coaching they, they, yeah. 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 Which, which I think could have worked specifically with Lovey Smith because that's one of the guys that was early on Josh McCown, the head, the, the, the coach one day, you know, it was when, it was when Josh played for Lovey in Chicago. It was when Josh played for Lovey in Tampa, when these ideas first start creeping up about Josh McCown being a, a coach in the first place. So I think that could have been sold to Lovey Smith. Like it wouldn't have been a, well, I'm looking over my shoulder to see if this young whippersnapper or if they going to, if they going to fire me for the white guy. I don't think that that would have been a factor as much because those guys had an established relationship. So well, I'm saying all of that to say that from Brian, I'm sorry, from Bill O'Brien to David Cully to the possibility of Josh McCown now arriving at Lovey Smith, the thing that we can feel good about is that it's not an embarrassment. It's not something that I feel like we really, really need to explain away and sell. Why is Lovey Smith the coach? Your process, yeah, but your ultimate arrival at Lovey Smith, you don't have to say, I think it was Wade Smith on our air on Tuesday after the press conference said, you don't have to sell legit. So, like, if something is legit, somebody is legitimate, has a track record, you don't have to really obvious, sell it. Yeah. Just let, yeah. let, the, let the record speak for itself. Uh, and I think now, now, the good thing is now we can move on and start looking at what really matters here, or what matters more, I should say, and that's the player evaluations and acquisitions. You know, what are they going to do with this draft? Finally got a first-round pick. Are they going to have more than one first-round pick? Hope so. You know? You never know. Are they going to pick, pick number three? Yeah. You know? What, and now we can start looking at the fun stuff, okay? Because this part is, like you said, more academic and less fun. The fun stuff is going to be, okay, we got this player. We got that player. Do we have a guard? Do we have a, a left and a right guard yet? You know, um, start evaluating the coaches. Okay, Pep Hamilton. Had people banging, banging the drum for Pep Hamilton. All right, well, Pep, Davis Mills is yours. Good luck. Show us something. You know, those types of things. And those, those are the things that I am looking forward to. Um, and, and then obviously getting into the off-season training programs and training camp and seeing, hey, this offense, you alluded to it earlier, Pep likes to run the more sort of power style, um, you know, you know, four linemen blocking three, that type of thing. Like they, they are, I think it's going to be a, a lot similar to what we've seen in the past, but just hopefully a lot better. Um, and I was open to that. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to see what the differences are and what the overall impact is going to be on the, the new coaches or the, the upgrade, the promoted coaches, I should say. And then, and then the players, man, I'm ready for some, for some ball whenever it comes. I'm I'm perfectly content. I'm perfectly content following my Rockets right now, to be honest with you. But when it comes back, when the Texans do finally come back. I want to see what it looks like. I got I got a lot of rebuilds around here that I got to follow. <laughs> this is just 
this is just chief among them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, man, I want to see what it looks like. I want to see what it looks like. Well, that's it. And and again, it's just like you know, it was called process over results. But then you then your process is kind of it certainly looks looks skewed from from the public light. You know, you could have easily brought McCowan in and just and, and created a succession plan with another with a number of other young coaches. And, and all had a sort of internal promotion within, and you know, and Lovey could have been the sort of godfather figure of that, and kind of seen it through. But, but yeah, small steps forward it seemed like. Um, but hopefully, there's probably a lot there to chew over for the next couple. He's going to be a take a, a break for the next couple of weeks unless anything major crops up, and then we'll get into a bit of free agency in the draft. But uh, yeah, certainly been uh, it's been not been too easy, kind of keeping keeping this going. Um, they don't make it easy, but there's certainly a lot to talk about. So Brandon, thank you very much for your time, mate. Always appreciate it. Um, just so much there um, to unpack and probably edit before we stick this out. But um, but appreciate you. Um, thanks everyone for listening again, and um, we'll be back again in a couple of weeks. <laughs>